Welcome to Woman in Sport, a podcast dedicated to bringing you exciting stories and guests. I'm Tess Mostolis. And I'm Sophie Timmerman. Lots of papers really, really lack women's sport coverage, or they might have football and tennis and cricket, but that's it. There's a 30% higher chance of mistakes happening. I just want it to be about the sport. In this episode, we talk to Jessica Hayden. Hayden is a British journalist who has covered rugby for The Guardian, BBC Radio, and the Sunday Times. We talked to Hayden about what journalists covering sport must keep in mind when reporting about women's sport and Hayden's own experience covering rugby. How did you first um, get interested in journalism? So I was studying a politics degree at Swansea University and I really enjoyed politics and I loved the opportunities that I got. But I knew that journalism was what I wanted to do eventually. Uh, and then I saw a master's course at Swansea for international journalism. And at the time I thought, well, that's great because I've done politics and that's very internationally focused. And I could now do a master's in journalism and go on to be a political journalist. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. But I played rugby for the university and I'm big into my sport, all sports, men's and women's, um, but I've got a particular passion for women's rugby. So I started writing about it and then I got some work experience at places like The Times and The Guardian and I wanted to basically just explore that a bit more. So I did my master's thesis on the representation of women's rugby in the British media which was really interesting and opened my eyes to how terrible the coverage of women's rugby in Britain is compared to other sports. And it's not great for any women's sport, really. It especially wasn't a few years ago when I was writing the thesis. So I wanted to change that, basically. So I've been working for a number of clients over the last two years, but the biggest thing that I've done is I started a column for Rugby Pass, which is a, a, a rugby website, and became their women's rugby columnist, which they've never had before. Um, and I think they thought they were doing it to be to be seen as doing the right thing. You know, but actually, it became the most popular piece every week. And it became the most shared thing on social media that week. And it was on their trending bar for the whole week. You know, one of their most read pieces. So it kind of showed that actually the, the interest is there. And that's really spurred me on. So, yeah, I... I I've been writing about women's rugby for ages. I love it. I love kind of being a go-to person now for women's rugby because there aren't many people who specialize in it. Um, and doors are just opening and it's really nice. And I, I think that's the thing. I just found something that I was really passionate about and then wrote about it. Although it's difficult to gather hard data about it, what do you think about the current state of women's sport reporting in the UK? So the Telegraph actually have a women's sports section now. So they have um, a number of dedicated, there's a women's sport editor, there's a number of women's sport reporters and social media people and this whole team. Um, so it's actually grown really well there and they've, they've won awards for it. It's been really popular. So there is there are some good examples, but at the same time, lots of papers really, really lack women's sport coverage or they might have football and tennis and cricket, but that's it outside maybe of Olympic years. In Olympic years, it's a bit different, but 
actually um, it's it's quite poor most of the time. Um, there's a 30% higher chance of mistakes happening in women's sport content than men's sport content. So that's kind of mistaking, mistaken surnames or names or wrong images, incorrectly captioned images, um, just really common mistakes that happen much more in women's sport than they do in men's. So that's one problem that's really prevalent at the moment. But also the interest isn't there. I mean, we, we're still in a place, and I, I say interest isn't there, I mean amongst journalists, just to be clear, the audience is absolutely interested. Um, you know, I've seen male rugby journalists, so a guy called uh, Stuart Barnes, who's very famous uh, men's rugby uh, common like well, he's now a journalist um and he said I, I don't like women's rugby I don't watch it and I think but you're a rugby journalist you're not a men's rugby journalist you're a rugby journalist this is this is your job this is what you are paid to do if you don't think you you care about women's rugby at least don't write a piece about how much you don't care about women's rugby like who 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 cares about what you think like there are so many people who do care um, and you probably, I don't know if you have seen, there was like a whole hashtag I care movement recently. Um, lots of people care about women's sport as you, as you both know well. <laughs> so, um, I, I think that the, the appetites there, I just think the media in as a whole need to kind of catch up with that demand. I think you raised two very, very interesting points. So I first want to go back to the first one, which is the um, facts you were giving about the, the wrong surnames. Is that something that came out of your own um, thesis or is that something that you came across um, during your own work? Both. So I did look at it for my uh, thesis research, for my master's, uh, and that was something that, that I, I found. But also, once I once I was doing some work experience, I looked at where the mistakes happened. So I, I sat at um, the Guardian sports desk and followed a piece uh, about women's rugby from the writer. Okay, then who gets it? Okay, it's a sub editor. What happened? What are they checking? How how thoroughly are they checking it? And I was just shadowing. Then it would go. It went to the digital editor, and then because it was going into the paper, it went to the main editor as well. And another sub-editor looked at it. There was this whole lengthy process where there was about four or five different pairs of eyes on this one piece. Um, maybe there were no mistakes because they had an annoying woman standing behind them, watching them and seeing if they were going to make any mistakes. But this still happens, you know, that there are still mistakes that get into the paper or online. It's much, as I say, it's much more prevalent in women's sport than men's. Um, but it's also much more prevalent in less popular sports like rugby women's rugby because the people who work on the sports desks might not know the difference between two players who play for um you know England they might know because England are professional and it's they've got a lot of publicity but other teams they might not know um but it's easy to find out if you just use google so that's something that I'm really trying to to force and if I find mistakes in papers that I do tend to like really politely but get in touch and say look just so you know I'm not going to tweet about this but just so you know that you've you've got this wrong um and absolutely everyone who I've ever done that to has said oh my gosh thank you so much I didn't realize that um so yeah there's there are many many issues around uh, inaccurate reporting in, in women's sport for sure 
the second point that you also mentioned is that argument, oh, the audience is not interested. And I think that's obviously not true. So how do you think news outlets themselves, like the editorial teams, can do better in just reporting on representing women in their daily reporting, really? Well, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? I mean, if, if the, the coverage isn't there, then how do you know that people don't care? You're just assuming that people don't care. And the minority who hate women's sport and think it's rubbish are very loud about the, how much they dislike women's sport when there are so many people who love all women's sport or love, you know, they might be very passionate about women's football. But the thing that, the thing that I found um, is that if you build interest with your audience, I guess, you know, if this is what I think the editorial team should, should be doing to answer your question is if the audience understands who the players are and what they do and why they're interesting, then it builds that organic interest. So in women's rugby, as is the same for many women's sport, actually, most of the players are amateur. So they're not paid to play for their country. They're not paid to play for their club. They might be doctors, teachers, nurses, loads of different professions, firefighters, but they also play elite women's rugby. And that's so interesting that, you know, in the England team, we've got a firefighter, we've got a like, British gas engineer, deep, uh, commercial diver. And I've just realised that all of those things are one person, <laughs> a woman called Shauna Brown. She has a illustrious career. But there's um, there are so many like really cool stories in women's sport that we should know about. And yeah, there might be challenges in women's sport that men don't have, like about if we need, you know, maternity leave and the going back to sport after pregnancy or um the kind of whole stuff about the menstrual cycle and playing sport does that just make it a bit more interesting like okay you might not think it's anywhere near as good as the men's or you might think well a men's team could beat this team but that's never going to happen so who cares and it's good and quality is subjective right so what I might say is quality someone else might say is terrible but we're both entitled to that opinion um so, yeah, I just think let's build genuine engagement and the fans will read it. And I, I know that because for ages, people didn't really seem to want to commission anything about women's rugby. But now it's every day that people are getting in touch about women's rugby coverage. And I'm putting them in touch with other people now because I can't take it all on. And a year ago, that would never have happened. So absolutely, the, the interest is there. Do you approach differently the coverage of male and female sports? That's a really good question. I think yes, because the audience tend to know about the men's game. So I only cover rugby, really. I mean, I've covered other sports, but only like one or two articles for each sport. My main sport is rugby. And in when you're writing about men's rugby, the audience tend to know the players. They know who you're talking about. Um, they know how they play. They know the style. They know who the coaches are, everything like that. With the women's game, they don't. I'll give you an example. I'm writing for a paper at the moment who have never really covered women's rugby and I'm having to go right back to the beginning for the readership. So I'm saying stuff like, these players are uh, elite, but they're not paid. This is what they do. This is the position they play, all of that. Whereas I'm so used now with my rugby pass audience where they all follow women's rugby now, <laughs> they know it. So yeah, I do approach it differently. You kind of have to go back to basics and build up their understanding more gradually, I guess, than you would do with the men's game. 
How do you think this engagement has changed? I mean, um, we saw that you're quite active on Twitter, right? So I think to that extent, this makes this generation of sports journalists different to the generation before that. So how do you use social media to engage your audience um, with your own um, coverage? I use social media to talk directly to people who are reading. Uh, I love to know what they're thinking and who they're who who what they what they're looking at outside of what I write and if they follow women's rugby. Um, so I get I use it in two ways. That's number one to engage with the readers, and also when I post something, I love kind of healthy debate and conversations afterwards uh, about women's rugby. Like I just posted my fantasy fifteen, so my fantasy team for the women's Six Nations. Um, and there's been lots of healthy debate and conversation around that, which is lovely and it's brilliant. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I've never really had um, people like being mean about my work, I guess, because uh, I think so many rugby fans, especially women's rugby fans, are just so pleased that there's someone writing about it, that there's no kind of abuse at, at the moment, touch wood. <laughs> um, the other side of it is building engagement more generally for women's rugby so at the moment that's kind of the unpaid side of it I guess because I'm just doing it out of because I want to grow the game so I run polls I run little like threads of competitions and stuff I'm currently running a fantasy league on Six Nations I'm working with Guinness Six Nations to build this fantasy league for the women's Six Nations and I'm running the biggest league uh, which I'm really like so excited about because we've got, you know, Guinness have donated a shirt for the winner of their choice, whatever country shirt they want. We've got some cool stash from other companies who want to get involved. Um, and I'm just running that just, you know, I'm, I'm not getting paid for it, but it's because I want to grow the game. Uh, I talk to people all the time on there who are also rugby journalists because it's nice to show that we all, get on because I think people think that journalists are like in competition when I, I don't really feel that way and yeah so I just use it for that really just to help grow the game I've shared links if the rugby premier 15s is the the rugby league in um rugby union league uh in the in England so that's where all the kind of the UK's players play is in the premier 15s so I share the links and that's being shown on YouTube. So try and get people to watch it. And yeah, so I guess that's how I use social media. Um, and it helps. I think social media skills shouldn't ever be underestimated because other generations, and I won't say older, I'll say other generations don't tend to have those skills as much as as, as we might. So that's, uh, I think if if you can, if you have those skills, then use them and and make the best use of them you can. Do you think it makes it easier for you to report on women's sport as a woman? It probably makes it easier that I've played it, especially at Swansea University, because I think I actually, my first kind of insight into women's rugby was with our, I say our, I'm not at Swansea anymore, but with Swansea Uni's head of rugby, uh, Shuad Lillycrap, who's actually Wales women's captain, rugby captain, and she is just one of the most inspirational, hardworking and motivated people I've met in my life um and just watching her play and coach and the passion in her I just I was so inspired by it so that really helped being at Swansea Uni being surrounded by this high performance environment and all the people you know I I started playing alongside uh, a girl called Courtney who's now in the Wales squad and we've started playing together at Swansea 
five years ago and now she plays for Wales and the same goes for a number of the girls who were playing at Swansea Uni. I mean, it has to be one of the best UDs in the country for, for women's rugby. Like, absolutely. It's up there with Loughborough and Cardiff Met. It's just so good. Um, so that helped. I don't know about being a woman. I guess, you know, sometimes I get asked questions like male rugby journalists will get in touch with me because they, they've had, they've been asked to write about um, the menstrual cycle when there's stuff linked with that. And they're like, can you just sense check this for me? Like, is this a bizarre question to ask? And I, I help with that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it, if it helps too much. There are some amazing male rugby journalists who cover the women's game, like a guy called Matt Merritt. He's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just the, the experiences that I've had with the people that I've met. One question, which is less about women in sport, particularly, but as a sports journalist, and I think you mentioned that you, you know, know these people yourself. I mean, you used to study or play together. Do you think that makes you less objective in your reporting or just makes you more passionate? Well, it's a good question. So I was, when I was writing my fantasy 15 the other day for my column, I was thinking, Oh no, like I can't include everyone. And I included Shuan and I was like, is Shuan going to think I've just included her? because we're friends and not because she's amazing. Uh, so sometimes it, I, you know, I have to have those thoughts to myself, but it's just opened doors for me um, because it means that people know me or I can be introduced or I can say, oh, I'm, you know, I've played with so-and-so or I'm friendly with this person. And it's a small community, women's rugby, really, uh, with all like the, the elite players and the, the international teams. Um, you know, there's not that many of many of them. So Uh, I don't know. I hope it doesn't make me less objective. Uh, but I often just joke and I just say, you know, I think I said on Twitter the other day, my fantasy 15 is just going to be people who I like <laughs> and I don't mean it. I, it's, but it, you know, it's nice that because I, I am friendly with so many of them and good, like personal friends with, with a few of them that you can kind of have those conversations, but it also allows you to, to tackle the tougher issues. So, They might talk to me. This has happened about a piece about concussion. They would talk to me about it because they trusted me because they know me. Um, so that's helped. But yeah, I don't, I hope it does. I try very hard to be as objective as possible. And I tend to get it sense checked by someone, um, a family member or a friend. I, I, if it's something that I think I might be giving my opinion too much, then I, I ask someone else to read it. Just because you mentioned the topic of concussion, and I think that's very prevalent right now in sporting, what sort of topics do you think are very relevant at the moment when it comes to uh, women's rugby? So in women's rugby in general, concussion is a, is a huge problem at the moment. Um, so actually, there's a doctor at Swansea University who's leading this research, uh, Dr. Liz Williams, and she is absolutely leading worldwide this research into women's concussion in women's rugby. And we spoke recently about the, the impact of concussion. And it's really terrifying because none of the data, apart from Liz's study that had Swansea University men and women's uh, players in there, covers women. The women are out of the data when it comes to concussion. And the same thing happens in, in most sports. It happens outside of sport. It happens in you know, how cars are tested for their, their safety is on male bodies, not on women's bodies. So women are much more likely to die in a car crash than men because we're not included in the research that dictates how safe a car is. So there are many, many issues around that. Um, 
but Liz has kind of led that and it's been a fantastic study. Uh, so concussion is a, is a really big issue in women's rugby at the moment. The other thing is the inequality in, in pay. So the, the, there are only about 50 professional women's rugby players in the world of all time. Uh, and there's 28 professional in players for England at the moment. That's around seven players who are on part-time contracts. There's 10 players at Scotland who have uh, some have central contracts, but they are very shady over whether that's full-time professional or just semi-professional, a little bit of money. Um, Wales and Ireland are completely amateur. So there's this huge disparity within, you know, Britain and Ireland around the 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 status of, of the the professionals of the elite sides the international sides and at the same time within the Premier 15s which is run in England it's English clubs only but actually most of the Welsh players uh, the Wales women players play in the Premier 15s as do the as Scotland players and, and Ireland as well lots of them um, and there we've got clubs that are fully professional and then there's some who are semi-professional but semi-professional doesn't even cover petrol yet alone anything else um no one is really making a fortune from playing women's rugby even the kind of the players who are professional at club and country the England players they're, they're not making a fortune so it's difficult there's a lot of problems that need addressing in in the women's game um but we we are we are making progress. I mean, Wales. Um, I don't know if your listeners are, are mainly in Wales or, or wherever, but um, it's particularly bad because the Welsh Rugby Union seem to make these promises of investment that never materialise to anything. Um, so it is a struggle at the moment for for women's rugby players. But they would say how brilliant everything is at the moment because they're just so pleased to have this you know, the Women's Six Nations tournament coming up, the World Cup in New Zealand next year, it's been postponed, but it will be next year. So there's lots of brilliant things happening, but yeah, there's still a long way to go before there's kind of any sort of equality in women's rugby. Looking back, uh, what would be a story that you've written that you're really proud of? So the first one is a piece that I wrote as part of my thesis. Um, so we had to write three things as part of my thesis. And it was to show that you could write in a journalistic style, but it got published in the Times. Um, so it was a piece about the sacrifices women make to play in the Six Nations. And at the time, it was much worse. This is kind of two or three years ago now. Um, it was really, really, really hard to be a woman playing in the Six Nations because you had to use your entire year's annual leave, lots of them, to play. They'd have to play on the Sunday, then go back into work on the Monday, and they'd have no recovery. They'd be knackered. And if they were injured, they could lose their job because they can't work. So, you know, they lose their income. And they're not compensated at all from their union unless they're English. So that was probably the piece that I was proudest of because it opened so many eyes. And the reason that I wrote it was because when I was on work experience at the Times, there was a piece published in the week that I was there that said we should move the women's rugby games, the Six Nations games to a Wednesday because so they don't compete with the men. And I said, but they all work. <laughs> They've all got jobs. Like They can't just work. They can't go to Italy on a Tuesday, fly in on a Tuesday, play on the Wednesday, fly home on the Thursday because that's three days out of their week working week and they're going to be knackered so 
I wrote that and I was really proud because I think it corrected something that was inaccurate and hadn't been researched enough. Um, the second piece that I'm probably proudest of in like a genuinely it made a difference was the piece on concussion that I wrote with Dr. Liz Williams from Swansea University because it came out just after the link between dementia and women's and rugby, but there wasn't much about the link between concussion and dementia in women's rugby because no players had really come forward and said, I've got brain injury or I've got, I've struggled with my memory. But after I wrote that piece, the lawyer who was representing the men's rugby players uh, in court around this issue of, of dementia said, look, I wanted to call you because six women have come forward and are having brain brain assessments because we think they might have dementia, early onset dementia or a degenerative disease because of their, their level of concussion that they received during their career. And I say I'm proud of that. I mean, I'm horrified by it, but I'm so proud that I stood up and said, no, let's write about this. It might It might look like we're dragging attention away from the men and making it about the women but there's no research there and Liz is doing this research and it isn't funded enough and she isn't getting enough credit for what the, the work that she is doing so let's shout about it and actually I mean this is months ago that there are six players come, coming forward even today I had global news from getting in touch to ask me questions about it and I was like speak to Liz she's brilliant um so that's probably another proud moment because I felt like that really changed, like that genuinely changed lives because they're going to have a, a, a memory assessment and they'll have help now um, and they might get quite a lot of money. <laughs> so um, if I bump into any of them, then I'll make them buy me a drink. But <laughs> yeah, and, the, and that's probably the piece, the pieces that I'm proudest of. So what do you think then your personal goal or objective is as a sports reporter? What do you, what do you want to convey to your audience? My goal is to show people how brilliant women's sport is, particularly women's rugby. But more generally, my goal is to be a trusted reporter of the news, but also to make sure there's factual accuracy in women's sport reporting. And it's much more important that we kind of focus on women's sport for the moment in terms of factual accuracy, because there are many people who have fantastic knowledge of men's sport but not many who have fantastic knowledge of women's sport so I'm working really hard to to get better all the time and trying to be that person that understands women's sport inside and outside and recognizes the players and and, and knows it the, the day I'm looking forward to is when we can have a call-in radio show about women's sport and it all be positive and all be about the game and not whether you care or are they, is someone attractive? <laughs> I just want it to be about the sport and about, you know, who might move to one team, who scored the best goal this weekend. Like, let's let's move it to that. And that would be fantastic. That's the day that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. We're so happy you could join us today in Woman in Sport. I, Tess Mostelis, and my co-host Sophie Timmerman hope to continue to bring you exciting new topics. If you want to join us on this journey, make sure to follow us. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Amazon Music. And if you like the show and want to support us, you can become our Patreon on patreon.com slash Podcast. See you next time.